Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. This week on the Empowered Hormones podcast, I share with these guys a special interview that I did with Alexa from Rikindi. So Rikindi is a safe community yoga space where they aim to connect people and to talk about different health topics, spiritual experiences, and just, yeah, really help people um, connect to each other and educate and empower on different interesting topics so head over have a listen um, check out their stuff on instagram i'll link them in the notes alex is amazing rekind is doing beautiful works all around the world with different people so i hope this guys get something out of this episode because i really go back to basics and unpack those big gut health questions that so many people have about ibs about pain about getting to the root cause about what foods we shouldn't shouldn't be eating so some of those hot topics that i know so many people have questions about so enjoy please leave me a five-star review and as always reach out on instagram sheridan underscore functional nutrition if you have any questions Hey guys, and uh, welcome to another episode of Rikindi. Today we're joined by Sheridan Decker. Uh, Sheridan's been a gut health nutritionist for over six years. Um, so Sheridan, thank you and welcome to the show. Pleasure. It's great to be here. Put a face to a name and meet you. Awesome. So for those who are listening, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what got you interested in the gut? Yeah, so it's a bit of a journey um, for my health. And like a lot of health practitioners or people in the health and wellness space, it usually starts with something that's either happened directly to us or to our family members or someone we know. And that's made us go, hey, you know what? I need to be more involved and I need to know more because I'm struggling or they're struggling, whatever it is. So my journey started back when I was so about 10 years ago. So I was 17 um, and I went on the birth control pill because I had quite severe acne at the time and you know that was the solution I tried antibiotics the next step was Roaccutane da 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 xyz all that bullshit um and they were like go on the pill so I was like okay fine I'll go on the pill went on for three months hated it put on about eight nine kilos skin didn't get better bad sugar cravings came back off it and obviously I was still struggling with my skin my periods were okay they're pretty regular or whatever anyway I was kind of just like well this is how it is I guess I just need to hack this out for however long and then a year or so later I started university so I started sports science and I went overseas to Bali because we're in Perth Western Australia so Bali's only a couple hours away um, and we used to go quite regularly for surf trips and stuff and anyway I went on this one trip and I got quite sick over there so what I didn't realize at the time was I'd picked up a few really toxic bacterial strains and also a couple parasites. Not knowing this, not knowing much about functional health, not knowing much about this space, I went back to WA and I was a couple months into my sports science degree and I was getting really unwell. Like I 
then caught glandular fever a couple weeks later. I could no longer tolerate gluten at all. I was getting really severely constipated. I was lucky if I was going once a week. My period stopped. I started getting super stressed um, about uni and about family and about all these environmental things. I was doing CrossFit five, six times a week. I was training crazy. I was restricting my eating because I was, you know, just trying to figure out what was going on with my gut. And I was just constantly bloated. Like I looked pregnant all the time and I was quite small, like I'm tall, but I'm not a big structurally built person. So it was a really confusing, hard time. And on top of that, I still had my acne. I still had this ongoing fatigue. And I'm like, I was the healthiest person I know. I ate really well. I was studying sports science. I was exercising. And yet I had this chronic type fatigue I actually turned out I didn't have my periods for about eight years after that point um I was yeah I was really tired and had the constant gut issues stomach pain I couldn't socialize I couldn't travel I couldn't go out because every night I was just in so much pain and I would wake up and I'd have loose stools and then I would just feel sick all day and I couldn't eat and you're burping a lot all stuff that now I know it's classic SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial growth. I know it's classic large intestine stuff. I know it's classic parasite stuff. But then I didn't know and no one I knew knew what was going on. So I saw specialists after specialists. I saw doctors. I saw gynecologists. I saw immunologists. I got brain MRI done. I got um, bone marrow biopsies done. They looked for leukemia. They looked for cancer. They looked for everything going, what the heck is wrong with this early 20-year-old female who presents as healthy, like on the outside, everyone thinks she's healthy because she's within the healthy weight range, probably a bit under, but she's in that weight range. She eats well and she exercises. But on, you know, internally, I knew I was like, I've got acne. I've got this gut stuff. I don't have a period. I'm super stressed. I'm constantly sort of anxious and I couldn't tolerate any foods at all and nothing would make me have a bowel movement. And, you know, so it was this constant sort of thing. And that actually went on for what turned out to be like six or seven years. But in that time frame, about it would have been when I graduated sports science and I moved to Queensland from WA, I went and saw what was called a functional GP. And this was my first taste, for better use of words, of the functional world. I went and saw her. She actually wasn't great, but she was sort of the starting point. I said, oh, let's get you on some of these probiotics, which actually treat parasites. Let's get some stool testing done. Let's start to look for things. She was very vague, and this is why I always say to people, one, always get a copy of your test results because every practitioner treats differently, for starters. Um, Also, just because you found someone who's integrative doesn't mean that they're good. Just because they do it doesn't mean that they're good. I spent thousands on her, with her, and didn't really get anywhere, but it gave me a taste that there was more. Like She was the first one who said, you need to do a stool test. Prior to that, the... GPs were like, go on birth control, take more laxatives, eat more fiber and, you know, stop being so stressed. So it was just such a band-aid approach. It got me so annoyed because I was like, there is women struggling with this stuff every single day because I see them and there's no solutions out there for them. So what's actually going on? 
So after I saw her, I then sort of went, shit, there's something called functional nutrition. I, I didn't know that. And then I started doing some research. At the same time, I'd finished my master's. So I was doing PT stuff. So I was doing personal training as well as doing nutrition coaching for a better use of the word because I had my nutrition master's behind me but I was just focusing on food. So it was like diet plans, eat better, you know, those basic nutrition stuff. But I was seeing women who were presenting with IBS symptoms, so irritable bowel stuff, so constipation, loose stools, bloating, and a healthy diet and exercise routine was not making it better. And that was the same as me. And I was like, there's a missing piece here because we've got these heavy, painful periods. We've got this bloating. We've got this constipation. We've got this hair loss. We've got this fatigue, yet we're doing all the things. So what's missing? And that's when I came across functional diagnostic nutrition. I did extra study in that and went, ah, this is the stool testing I should be doing. This is the comprehensive hormone testing I should be doing. This is the hair mineral analysis I should be doing. This is the organic acid testing I should be doing. If I'm doing blood tests, these are the ones I want to run. And these are my reference ranges. No more of this going to the GP and they going, oh, you know what? I did your bloods and you're fine because you're not fine. And it's just, it's a Band-Aid approach. And I was like, I'm sick of this. So then I ran more testing on myself. I did a bunch of functional tests in different areas of my body. And that, that's when I realized, okay, I've got SIBO. I've got five or six toxic, really bad bacteria that are in my gut that are causing all these symptoms. Plus I had the parasites, plus I had a candida and yeast overgrowth. So it was this massive picture from the stool point of view. Then from the hair point of view, there was heavy metals and toxicity and things that are built up in my body because I just couldn't detox or eliminate anything because my body was too busy fighting all the other crap that was going on. There's leaky gut, there's a lot of inflammation, and then from a hormonal point of view, my adrenals, my cortisol was through the roof because my body was in such a stressed state. I was menopausal, so I had no progesterone, I had no estrogen, um, and I'd been like that for six or seven years. And my testosterone was quite high and my, um, yeah, my whole inflammatory fight flight response was just on. Like My body was just like because I was so wired from so many different things and at the same time so chronically fatigued because I was fighting so much stuff, you know, like falling asleep at one, two o'clock in the afternoon, just exhausted and then, you know, drinking coffee to wire yourself up to go to more CrossFit to try and get through, you know. It was just a unhealthy cycle. So that was sort of the starting point, did the FDN stuff, realized what was going on with me, spent time, you know, a couple of years working on my body, healing that while I started helping and healing other women and running the testing. And I did that part-time while I was lecturing for a while. So teaching those studying, so three and four in fitness. Um, and then I went, you know what, stuff this, I need to do my own business. There's too many people to help. And I just need to put all my energy into that. So yeah, that transitioned in the last couple of years. I've been full-time doing what I do now, which is, yeah, working with women, running the testing, building community, educating, empowering, because to me, that's, that's the important thing. And I see where I am now and I won't pretend that I'm 
all of a sudden magically healed and look how amazing my life is. Like I still, with my period, I'll still lose it if I get stressed because my body's sensitive. So I may lose one or two cycles if my work stress is really high. But then when I calm down, I get it back. It's bang on 28 days, you know, for however long till I burn myself out again, not quite, but it's, it's in that sort of cycle. So in that sense, I know how to manage it and I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing it wrong. And that's the same with psoriasis. So I ended up with these autoimmune conditions from being sick for so long. So I'll get psoriasis on the back of my scalp. Again, it's autoimmune. It's an inflammatory condition. It flares up when I am stressed now because I've dealt with all the other gut stuff, but I had leaky gut and so much inflammation for so long and not getting to the root cause because I didn't know. And again, I've seen dermatologists about it. It was like, just go take Roaccutane. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, is that the only solution you have got? Like that you're destroying women with these kind of medication band-aid based approaches. So it was that sort of eye-opening aspect and my skin is like the clearest it's like ever, ever been to not wake up and have acne and not have that self-confidence down every single day is just a game changer. Like for me, that was absolutely huge and having the periods back, having regular bowel movements, being able to eat dairy and a range of foods again. I can't eat gluten because I'm still highly sensitive to it after the initial glandular fever which is very common um i see a lot of clients if they've had glandular fever the epsom bar virus kind of embeds in their body and they have these developed autoimmune type conditions because it is just such a strong virus and um it, yeah it's, it's just hard for your body to get over so those kind of things have changed but other than that I don't need to avoid so many foods like like I used to do and it was a really long journey but I'm so glad I am where I am now and that I can help people now because the amount of women who go Sheridan I've got these heavy painful periods and I'm bloated tried you know removing this and removing that and I'm not getting anywhere and I'm like yeah I know and this is what gets me with the whole IBS thing is why it's such a BS diagnosis because even though it might be that you've got constipation and diarrhea and bloating, it's just a collection of symptoms like PCOS in a sense, a collection of symptoms, but there's a cause for it. Like PCOS, it's blood sugar imbalance. It's high testosterone, which where is that coming from? Is that a stress-based response or, you know, so it's, it's understanding and helping shift that mindset that, you know, you don't have, you don't have high testosterone because you're not on the birth control pill. Like the birth control pill, yeah, will we'll pull it down and it might calm down your endometriosis, but your body's not crying out for these medications. It's crying out for you to rebalance your minerals, get rid of the pathogens that are overgrown in your gut, heal your gut lining, get on top of your stress. And yes, if you're not eating a nutrient-dense diet that includes a range of whole foods and essential vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, then yeah, include that so that you can, you know, produce enough digestive enzymes and break down your food and absorb your nutrients and have great periods and have a great sex life and all those things that, you know, us as women deserve. So that's why I do what I do. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. I mean, you... I think when you get people who've hit such depths like yourself, you really rise up 
and you've really risen so far and it's just so phenomenal to see. And the fact that you've, because you've been through so much, you can now help so many people who may have had a small incremental issue. You're there to actually help them um, in whatever facet that is. So that is so, so cool. So cool. Uh, one of the questions actually was a leaky gut. So I know you mentioned um, that you had a leaky gut. What are the telltale signs? Would a leaky gut be you're bloating, you're fatigued? So for those listening, because uh, obviously you said quite a lot there. So I'm just trying to break it down a little bit so that people, if they say, oh, that, you know, what you said triggered me or what you said triggered me. So um, yeah, if you have a leaky gut, tell us a little bit about that. Um, what are the symptoms and how can you rectify that? Yeah, so leaky gut is a tricky one because it's a little bit of a catchphrase these days as well. Like everyone thinks I've got leaky gut in a sense. But generally, if you've got leaky gut, there's something causing it, right? So either you don't have enough good gut flora, that's a very common one because medications, birth control, Panadol, supplements, um, poor diet, stress, all those things will lower the diversity of you know your bifobactomy like bacillus and the, those good species that you want in your gut so if, if they have gone then we're thinking okay there's these cells and there's these cells that sit in your gut and they sit shoulder to shoulder in your gut wall now there should be sort of i'm going to call it a channel that your food passes through then you've got one single layer of cells that you need to protect that's got a layer of mucus on it and then you have your blood okay so you can imagine if that mucus layer wears away or gets damaged let's just take birth control damaged by birth control those cells are then exposed to the food they're not supposed to be exposed to the food your immune cells that are sitting in your blood go holy moly, that food is going to start hitting these cells and there's going to be a problem. So they separate. So when they separate, that's not actually a bad thing in itself because they're separating to get the immune cells out to fight the food, the parasites, the bacteria, the candida, the whatever's come in that you've ingested into your body. Because generally you get an overgrowth because you've ingested something. Otherwise you can't get it in there. In a real simple context, you think about babies at birth, they get their first dose of their immune system from their mother. If the mother's been given a heap of antibiotics at birth, which can happen to keep them all alive, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying be mindful of that. Um, the baby's going to get a dose. Or if the mother has an overgrowth, like a strep or something overgrowth, um, then the baby's going to get a dose of that. So just things like that, you're thinking, okay, how, how am I getting this leaky gut and how am I getting these overgrowths? Well, you're eating it, you know, like I've been to Vietnam and to Bali and to Thailand and that's where I picked up all my crap because you eat street food and you get cross-contamination. But in saying that, you, I know plenty of people in Australia who get it from camping, from rainwater is a massive one, from pets is a big one, from fruits and veggies, from public places. Um, you will pick up parasites and things, um, especially around Sunshine Coast. Lovely greeting ground for it because all the humidity. <laughs> so things love human environments. Um, you ingest it. Those immune cells try to attack that. That causes that separation. When you have that separation, these things can then get into your bloodstream, causing a greater immune response. So that's leaky gut is essentially it's leaky because the cells are separated and the immune's coming through. Now, when that goes on for a long period of time, 
that's when we tend to see autoimmune diseases get developed. So your, you know, your psoriasis or your Hashimoto's or your thyroid or other ulcerative colitis or, or inflammatory style diseases come from sort of the immune-based response. So that's it on a sort of basic level. You can't, you can test for it. So it comes up in the stool testing that I do, leaky gut will, but it's only a part of the picture. What else I want to know is is the why you know like if someone comes to me with say Hashimoto's I'm not directly going to treat their Hashimoto's or try and give them medication or do that stuff I want to go okay what's caused the immune to get angry and what key nutrients and minerals are your thyroid and its best friend your adrenal glands are they missing that's causing them to be upset. So firstly, eradicate those pathogens because there'll be blasto and there'll be other parasites and then think, okay, selenium, iodine, salt, potassium, am I getting enough of these key minerals to actually cause the enzyme reactions that I need? So that's kind of the, the pathway that you're looking at with leaky gut. Yes, it's repairable, 100% it's healable. You just need to remember What's your time frame? You know, like I don't work with people if they want to be healed in two to three months because I'm sorry, but it's pretty much impossible. Tell me anything you can do in two to three months. Like that is sustainable. I want to see your long-term health. Ikiga is like minimum six to 12 weeks just to eradicate. And depending on what it is, because if you've got parasites, we'll work on that first, then bacteria, then yeast. Then we really get into the rebuild and repair while we're working on those enzymes and nutrients and getting reintroducing foods again, you know, so that you can actually have a range of these foods that are going to heal you. So it is healable. It is there. Symptoms will present differently. Fatigue, autoimmune stuff, period stuff, skin stuff, um, allergies, reactions to pollen, chemicals, um, bumps on the skin, just Everyone will be quite different. Struggling with weight loss sometimes for people because there's an inflammatory response in the body and that means more cortisol, means more estrogen. Estrogen holds on to a bit of extra fat. So it, it'll vary, um, but it's just important to remember it's a root cause approach. Yeah, wow. No, that, that's very, very insightful, very insightful. And when you're looking at IBS, so what is the difference so you've got, um, so IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. So what we're saying with irritable bowel syndrome is usually it is, so the doctors, they classify it as like pain with going to the toilet or bloating or constipation, loose stool. So it's actually more of a symptom picture. So we see it triggered by food, which is where everyone gets stuck. People don't get further. And by that sort of parasite picture, then we're getting our leaky gut. And then from there, we're getting our autoimmune conditions. But, you know, and that's sort of where, where people are looking at their autoimmune condition and they aren't tying it to their constipation or their loose stools. They're not connecting the dots there. Yeah, wow. And so if anybody's experiencing these symptoms, would you say the first step is to go and get a stool test? Yeah, generally, like um, in 99% of the cases, unless the only exception is if you have tried nothing. Like it's very rare for me to get someone who has, hasn't tried changing their diet and hasn't tried a heap of supplements. Most people have tried, for better use of the word, self-remedies. It's like getting your teeth whitened. You know, you 
fluff around with different toothpaste and self-whitening kits before you just go to the dentist and be like, just flip and do it for me because my teeth are sensitive and now they're sore and I don't know how much and for how long and, you know, should I be drinking coffee or shouldn't I be drinking? Like, it's just a, you, you're guessing, you know, I do it all the time. Like, I'm like, oh, I'll just try something because I don't know any better. Think of beauty products on your skin. Like, I spent thousands on freaking different products that were supposed to clear my acne before I knew that the root cause was actually hormonal stuff. And I went and went, oh, I'm actually going to dive into the hormones rather than, you know, spending hundreds on different treatments and exfoliants and just ruining my skin barrier, you know, like, so, and the gut is exactly the same. We will try, and I see this all the time, we will try removal diets, we will try fiber supplements, we'll try probiotics, we will try this gut health blend thing before we actually go, oh, maybe there's someone who does stool testing because it's not known. And that's the thing. It's no one's fault. It's just not. Your GP's never going to say to you, hey, Alexa, you've got a sore gut. Go see Sheridan and get a comprehensive stool test done. He's going to be like, "Um, go take some more laxatives or, you know, like if it's loose stools, maybe they'll do a stool test, but all there's tests for is a couple parasites and one or two sort of toxic bacteria. It doesn't give you the whole functional picture. So if you're someone listening and go, hey, that sounds like me. I've tried a lot of things. I've actually played around with my diet and I've removed my processed junk. And I'm, you know, sort of not just having coffee in an empty stomach every day because that will probably give you loose stools, you know, like, and you, you've sort of cleaned your act up a bit and you're not drinking excessive amounts of alcohol every day, then, then go and get a stool test done. If you haven't tried anything, then, hey, yeah, eat real food eat fruit, eat vegetables, eat quality grains, eat quality dairy, or if you can tolerate it and, you know, do, do the basics and then see if that makes a difference. Cause some people that's all it is like that's, it's simply just being a better human. And then other people, well, you know, the majority of people I work with, it's we're already healthy. We're already fit. Okay. Do some comprehensive stool testing do some comprehensive hormone testing and actually get to the root cause. Yeah, awesome. And with those stool testing, what are you looking out for? Yeah, so they're really comprehensive. So they're, they're quite in-depth, but the main sort of areas I'm looking at is what's called functional markers. So that includes digestion markers. Is there um, muscle proteins? Like are you breaking down your animal fats correctly? Are you breaking down your fibres correctly? Um, is there any inflammatory markers? Is there any blood? Is there any of those things? So those sort of digestion factors. And then also there's a range, a massive range of different bacterial strains. There's just sort of overgrown bacteria that aren't an issue but are out of balance then there's pathogenetic bacteria like your salmonella or you know your listeria your big key triggers um your c diff ones that are going to give you long-term health issues especially mental health stuff um and then we're looking at parasites we're looking at worms tapeworms fluke worms um and then also what's called dysbiotic bacteria so they're not pathogens but they are going to um, they release what's called LPS, so toxins into the bloodstream. And that's generally when you're getting that constant release of toxins, you're getting skin issues, you're getting fatigue, your body's under the sort of constant pump day to day. 
Yeah, wow, of course. No, that's phenomenal. And actually, you know, just backtracking a little bit what you were talking about with the doctors, it is a very interesting thing that they kind of have this, you know, uh, like you said, quick fix solution. And most of the things they provide for you always have a um, side effect. And so you're trying to apply something with a Band-Aid rather than doing an in-depth analysis, like you were saying with the stool tests and, and finding out what's actually going on in your body. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the big issues we have in society today because it's also the doctors for one have about 10 to 15 minutes with you really. Like it's it's not a long time. So what can you do in 10 minutes? I can't do anything with anyone in 10 minutes. I'm you know, it's minimum 45 minutes to see someone. So that's our first issue. The next one is Medicare, so the Australian healthcare system doesn't um, put money towards functional testing. So you're looking at for $500 for a stool test or for a Dutch comprehensive hormone test. So money is a barrier for a lot of people. And I get that. Like I go, well, I'm sorry, but that's the wholesale price. It, it is what it is. And I know it sucks, but there's nothing I personally can do about it. So that's another sort of barrier. And then it's also the mindset of people. We want a quick fix. If there was a pill for weight loss, we would take it. We would pay thousands for it. You know, we'd pay five, 10, 15, 20 grand for one pill to make me skinny. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, if if there is a quick fix, that is what we want. Long-term approach is not sexy. Do you know how hard that is to sell? Oh, I can get you better, but you're going to have to do the work and it's going to take you time. And it's also probably not going to be comfortable all the time because you're killing off parasites and there's die-off effects. And, you know, yeah, we're going to get you from A to B, but there's there's a process in that and, and trying to get people to flip that mindset from the fact, well, why would I do that, Sheridan, if I can go to my GP, take the birth control pill, have regular pain-free periods, and my acne disappears? Why the heck would I go and do comprehensive hormone testing, work on my diet, use a root cause approach, use natural supplements, stuff that's going to take me six to nine months when I can do that? You know, like it's, it's, changing that in people and that's that's really hard it's it's a different approach and people can be resistant to change at first yeah completely no that's that's a very very valid point and it's understanding that things do take time and uh, the longer you work on something you know usually the more um, wholesome it is and the more um, healing it can be so going back to that mm-hmm. comprehensive uh, hormones what um, how does hormones affect IBS Yeah, so one of the first things I get women to do when I'm working with them is to track um, their period. So I would say, look, if you're not tracking your periods, if you're having, you know, a bleed in a sense, um, if you're having menstrual bleed, then track them. And why we do this is because what happens is over the menstrual cycle, when you hit ovulation and you have an influx of estrogen and stuff in your body, that's typically when I see a lot of PMS symptoms start. If there's bloating, if there's tender breasts, if there's fluid retention, if there's those sides of things, because there's too much estrogen and it's an imbalance of the types of estrogen, which is what a Dutch test will tell you. Okay. And it'll tell you how to metabolize it and what phases of your liver are not working to push this extra estrogen out of the body. So we're tracking that to see, oh, look, if you're getting constipated in the middle of your cycle, you know what? That's actually more from the estrogen than you having a massive dysbiotic bacteria overgrowth, right? And then as those hormones dip away, as you're coming into day one, so that's the day one of your bleed, 
and all of a sudden maybe you get an outbreak of acne or something then then I go oh actually that acne is probably more from you know lower estrogen and lower progesterone and how long was that phase of your cycle so how much progesterone are you actually producing and for how much and for how long because progesterone as well will impact loose stools for constipation a lot of women notice bowel changes either around ovulation or around menstruation so it's not it's not going to give you all the answers you need, but it's going to give us more data. And the more data I have, the more I can correlate your test results with the herbs you should be taking, with the treatment plan, with the diet you should be eating, with that sort of whole holistic approach, with the exercise you should be doing, with the amount of stress you're under, with the coffee you're drinking, with the alcohol you're having, with the kids in your life, with your husband, with all those other things. You know, even environmental toxins, a lot of women don't realise how much your plastic and stuff will affect your oestrogen and your oestrogen detox. If you're continually exposed to plastics, beauty products, you know, um, stuff in the air, environmental toxins, they will, it will impact phase two of your liver. You will not be able to detoxify estrogen properly and you will have these um, either acne or tender breasts or PMS or heavy bleeding or clots or, you know, tend towards endometriosis style things because you're just not moving that estrogen down. There's three kind of pathways, but down the correct protective pathway in a sense so it'll it'll correlate with your gut stuff often your gut stuff is driving those hormone issues so I always tell people you've got a pyramid you start with the bottom that's your gut health we get that foundation right then you can move up to your like ovaries and your adrenals and your thyroid and your sex hormones you know like those those things are at the top something like your libido is something that you might come to me and say, well, I've got, yeah, I've got some gut stuff going on, but I've got no libido. And I'm like, lady, I don't care about your libido because why is your body wanting to have sex when it's got all this other drama to deal with, okay? So let's deal with the foundations first. Let's reduce that cortisol. Then, yeah, let's push up some progesterone and let's get you horny and let's do all the fun stuff. But that's at the top of my pyramid because right now I'm like, we've got so much other stuff to deal with. So it's, it's sort of understanding how they interlinked, but also knowing where to start. Yeah, of course. Wow. And how does the, the pull affect all of that? Because you mentioned the pull that you were on previously and it had a huge effect on you. Um, you know, uh, how does that impact all of this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good question. Um, the pill, essentially, generally speaking, depending on the type you're on, but it will just shut down ovulation. So it just t- tells your body, hey, there's hormones here. You don't need to produce any hormones. So, you know, generally, depending on the type, it'll have synthetic estrogen or progesterone in it, which is going to give you sort of that cycle, which is why you take one each month. And then when you go on those sugar pills, there's no hormones. So your body has a bleed because it goes, oh, there's no hormones. I obviously need to bleed. Um, in a sense, it goes down that. So you're not producing any progesterone, which is a massive issue for starters because progesterone is essential for healthy bones, healthy mood, healthy sex drive, um, anxiety. I often see women with bipolar or just real massive mood disorders sort of on the pill. It also impacts your gut microbiome, but really importantly, it depletes your body of B vitamins, um, zinc, copper, some of those things. So it's important to understand that it's impacting a bigger picture. 
Now, the tricky thing is, is I'm not saying don't use birth control pill. I'm saying you can use it, but there's two things you have to do. One, you cannot use it as a Band-Aid approach. If you're using it for your acne or for your heavy, painful periods, then I don't think that's good enough. I think you need to look for the root cause of that. If it's not for that, if it's just purely for sex and not, you know, being ready to have a baby, then I would say just support your body while you're on it. Take a quality probiotic. Keep fermented foods in your diet, support your liver because it's the one that has to detox um, all those synthetic hormones and support, you know, your um, vitamins and mineral status as well. So just support your body while you're on it because, you know, you're going to take this drug, will do the right thing by your body. So there's that side of things as well. Other things like the marina or the copper IUD, and there's pros and cons of, of all of them and everything's different. You know, some people find that one's good and one's not. Depends. Um, copper IUD, I think, is the one maybe that doesn't shut down ovulation, so you're still ovulating through it. Um, they all vary. Again, know what you're taking, know why you're taking it, and know what your plan is while you're on it, how long you're on it, and what you should be doing to support your body. And if anyone has questions around that, your first resource is Beyond the Pill by Dr. Jolene Brighton. Buy the book. It is the best book ever. Plus the Period Repair Manual by Lara Bryden. Um, so both of those are just um, amazing books. Even if you want to stay on the pill, Jolene Brighton gives you so much and her Instagram is just phenomenal as well. Um, so both of those ladies, their books, yeah, I can't recommend them enough. Yeah, awesome. And so Beyond the Pull, does that talk about how you can manage uh, birth control and all that sort of stuff without taking the pull? Or is that talking about how to supplement you if you are taking the pull? Both. So it'll tell you how to get off it, what damage it's doing to you, side effects of it, um, other options, um, how to support your body while you're on it, gut health stuff, thyroid stuff, adrenal stuff. Um, yeah, so her, her podcast is really great as well, actually. Yeah. So Jolene Bryden's, yeah, really good. But it does, it's really practical. And that's why, you know, some people go, oh, I don't need to see someone one-on-one. I'm like, no, you probably don't. Just go buy the book, have a read or the audio book, buy some of those supplements that she recommends and give it a try. Like it's, it's a really great starting point. Because that's the thing that's actually a bit aggravating is like, um, I was probably about 18, well, maybe 17 at the time. I wasn't even sexually active and I went to the doctor and similar to you, I had um, a bit of bad skin and I just said, Hey, I have some bad skin, bam, pull. And because I was 17, I was like, okay, you know, had no idea, no concept, no clue. And when you look at like, who's being funded, I mean, a lot of, in Australia, you don't get physical payments, but what they'll do is they could take doctors on holiday. Um, you know, and then they're funded by these companies. So there's an incentive almost. And then it makes you question, well, if I go to the doctor and they just quickly prescribe me something, is that because they've got a lack of time? Is that because they incentivized from other avenues, you know, and, and what impact does this have on my body? And so it's so cool that so many people are standing up and looking at ulterior ways in order to rectify these issues rather than um, just, you know, blindly walking yeah. in and, and having to suffer from the consequences for um, a prolonged period of time yeah and you see like I see women on a daily basis who are having these conversations with their GP and going 
can I get off it? What are my other options? And they're not presented with any other options. Or today, like a 17-year-old female, I had a chat with her and she's going, Sheridan, I don't know what to do. Like, I've got these skin issues. I tried going on the pill. I put on so much weight. I came off the pill. I'm struggling to lose the weight now. My moods are all over the place. My skin's just come back with the vengeance. I'm, I'm at the end of my wits. And that's when I go, well, yeah, you've got to go do some comprehensive hormone testing. We need to get a Dutch test done. Let's start that pathway kind of thing you know but they're young females and there's like so many women who are in all girls I don't use the word 17 18 who are in year 12 and who are missing school because of their heavy painful periods and you know their mums don't know my mum didn't know she wouldn't have put me on the birth control pill you know if she knew that comprehensive hormone testing was a thing and it was because Sheridan's got high testosterone and her blood sugars are all over the place and that's why she's got acne like mum didn't know that you know and and it's no one's fault it's just a it's just the healthcare system and it's just people like you and me just shouting it going okay let's spread the word let's spread the word because it's so important Mm, no definitely and so we spoke about IBS and we spoke about um a leaky gut is there anything else that people should be looking for um that could affect your gut or affect this entire system Yeah, I guess what the biggest thing really is that people are looking for is food triggers. Like if I'm completely honest, like we can medicate and live with skin conditions or psoriasis or constipation, loose stools or those kind of things that we kind of medicate our way around all this stuff. But if you're someone who's tried a low FODMAP diet, and if you don't know what it is, Google it. Um, But if you've tried a low FODMAP diet and you're like, oh, I'm still not getting better. So I've removed all these fermentable carbohydrates like legumes and garlic and onions and apples and all this stuff. And you're like, but I'm not getting any better you know, there's, there's more going on. And it's the same thing. If you've done that and you've been on restrictive diets and you feel really good because you're on a restrictive diet, but you realize it's not sustainable. To me, that's a massive thing as well, because your social life and your ability to eat a range of foods and get nutrients out of foods is really important as well. So I think that's one thing where we're always removing trigger foods like we're always going oh it's the gluten oh it's the dairy oh it's this and if you choose to remove those things for other reasons that's up to you whether it's quality or processing or you know um if you're vegan or vegetarian or whatever it is for whatever reason that's personal and i'm not going to get into that but what i'm saying if you're doing it for just a trigger point of view like i eat dairy and i'm running to the bathroom then avoiding dairy is not fixing the issue. That's a Band-Aid approach. You need to go, why am I not digesting dairy? Okay, I don't have the enzymes to do it. I don't have, you know, the digestive capability. Why don't you? Do you have low stomach acid? Have you not had enough salt in your diet? Have you been under stress? High cortisol, lower stomach acid. So, you know, like just things like that where, again, I tell people, please, please don't guess. Please actually understand track it sure remove the triggers sure but then let's re-add them back in and see what you're reacting to and then work from there and go okay you do have a bunch of food intolerances why is this going on it's not just ibs it's not just you're allergic to dairy because that's actually probably not true um it's other stuff so yeah just really pushing people into that 
Yeah, and actually on the dairy conversation, um, usually uh, prior to you, I think I meant you mentioned something like whole dairy or, or really good dairy. What is good dairy? Mm. What is what is um, the difference between different types of dairy? Yeah, so usually, like if someone has avoided dairy for a long period of time, will they struggle to digest it? I say start with things like raw milk, for example, that has the enzymes and has the bacteria and has the stuff in it that's going to help you digest it because raw milk, which you can buy from the shelves, yeah, you just illegal. got to go to a health food shop. But raw milk, no. Nah. No, because I can buy it locally here. Um, yeah, it's uh, that's a different type. I think if this one's still processed but maybe not pasteurised, oh. you'd have to correct me on that. But it's got the enzymes and it's classified as raw milk. So it's not – I don't think it's the Jersey milk or whatever that one is where people buy it as bath milk and then drink it. I think that's different again. Okay. But getting – yeah, getting the milk from your health food shops that's sort of sold as raw milk, start with a small amount of that rather than just buying some of your Woolies or Coles processed milk in a sense. Like I would start – I would start there – Things like butter, which is low lactose and is really high in your fat-soluble vitamins. Ghee is another one, amazing organic quality ghee, organic butter, because remember your fats hold those vitamins and minerals and toxins. So if you're getting really poor quality fats, like poor quality butter, for example, that's going to hold whatever toxins or whatever crap it was processed through or whatever conditions the animal was in and those sides of things, you know. So it's, it is important to buy quality stuff. Um, it also supports the whole organic industry and it supports the way we're pasteurizing and treating our chooks and treating our cows. And I'm a big fan of that. Like I grew up rural and country and we grew a lot of our own veg and stuff and, you know, took care of animals and we did all that stuff. So that's very embedded in me in a sense as well. So quality dairy, raw milk is a starting point. If you can tolerate that, you can go to a sort of regular organic milk for better use of the word. That's sort of fine as well. Um, and then dairy, I usually start like a pot set yogurt, again, like an organic pot set yogurt, something that's just more in its natural form, not as processed, doesn't have lots of added sugars or flavors or thickness, or, which is why I'm not a fan of lots of coconut yogurts because I have all sorts of stuff added to them. Again, there are good quality brands, but you need to be on the lookout for it. Um, cheese, again, hard cheeses are really easy to digest, like Parmesan, for example, great, low FODMAP, easy, no, not much lactose in it. Whereas if you went to some of your real soft cheeses um, or your creamy cheeses or sour cream and stuff, it's got a lot more lactose in it and that can be harder on your body to digest. So just always start slowly and you might need to start with one or two teaspoons to build up that lactase enzyme over time or whatever. But yeah, those looking at organic, where it comes from and then sort of how much lactose it has in it to sort of how much you can probably tolerate yeah well that's very insightful actually and um with the um vegetables is there any specific vegetables that people should stay away from ones that they should rather focus and have more on in their fridge or are all vegetables made equal yeah tricky question because one if you've got gut issues if you've got IBS or better use of the word, even though I don't think that's true. Listen to my episode on why IBS is the best diagnosis, but you've heard me rant about that. But if you're struggling with that, go look at FODMAPs and start with there for vegetables. But otherwise, in a general sense, 
clean 15 dirty dozen, Google that and start there. So if it's in the clean 15, you can just buy them and eat them. If it's in the dirty dozen, wash them. So that's, that's sort of the organic aspect, what you need to buy organic and what you don't. Wash those ones like your berries and your spinach as opposed to your bananas you can peel and they haven't been sprayed. So that's as far as gut irritants. And then as far as digestion, too much leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables is not good on the body raw, for example. So it's hard to digest raw. So if you struggle with a bit of digestion, it's not great for the thyroid. Steam them, cook them, you know, is going to be a lot easier on digestion. And your root vegetables are kind of the easiest, like your sweet potato, your potato, your carrot, your parsnip, anything sort of underground, they're a lot easier to digest because when you start to think about lectins and that's another whole kettle of fish, but you've got to realize that something like a broccoli is growing above the ground. It needs to protect itself. So it's got more of this cellulose and it's harder to break down. And, you know, we're thinking about our legumes and things that all have lectins and anti-nutrients in them, soak them, cook them, be careful with them. Whereas your root vegetables are quite protected in a sense. So they're starchier, they're easier to break down. Um, they need to be well cooked. Uh, some people, yes, they will be a trigger because they do have a lot of starch in them. But if I'm making a meal, my plate looks like primarily carbs. So whether that's a grain like rice or whether it's a starchy veggie like sweet potato, potato, and then sort of some kind of other veggie like um, pumpkin or my broccoli or my cauliflower or my zucchini or whatever it is, sort of that's my fibre. And then you sort of have your protein, whatever that is. And then usually it's cooked in your fat in a sense. Like, so that's kind of your keys is if you're struggling with digestion, easy to, you know, well-cooked root vegetables and then really well-boiled cruciferous vegetables like your broccoli, your cauliflower, eaten with salt, eaten with butter, because that's going to help stimulate digestion and it's going to help break them down. Don't go eating. If you're eating bowls of raw veggies and bowls of uncooked greens and massive salads, all that fiber can be really hard to digest on your gut because it's all this insoluble fiber. So it's like a broom going through your gut, which is fine, but it's, it's kind of just passing through, whereas, and it can be quite irritating, whereas something like your soluble fibres like oats or your sweet potato, it breaks down, it absorbs water, and it's easier on your gut to sort of digest. So it depends on your, your symptoms. Yeah, and um, in terms of alcohol, um, how much alcohol would you recommend people consuming? It varies. I'm, I'm sort of of the um, sense of balance, but I would say on weekends, a couple on your weekends, you know, I wouldn't, I don't drink during the week generally, unless there's an occasion and I don't recommend my clients drink during the week. Usually um, that's not, I don't find that healthy or helpful for sleep or anything else or hormones. If someone's in quite a chronic state, then I try and get them to cut it completely. Drinking a lot, then to me, I'm like, before I bother doing stool testing and stuff on you anyway, because if your body's so busy mopping up all the toxins from the alcohol and maybe it's excessive caffeine or maybe it's an excessive sugar addiction, you're going to get tired. You've only got so many resources in a day to do so many things. Yep. No, that's very, 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 very true. And in terms of caffeine, would you say um, one glass of caffeine a day, like one glass of coffee, and that's ample? Or would you recommend some people can have two? Um, 
Yeah, it depends on the strength of your shot. Are you having an error press? Are you having a double shot? Are you having an instant? Um, how much are you having? And then why are you having it? You know, generally, um, you know, one to two coffees a day for most people is more than enough. If you've got estrogen issues, you should get off it or cut it back to like half a shot a day or like at the bare minimum one single shot a day because you're just upregulating phase one and two of your liver and you're going to exacerbate your estrogen symptoms if you've got adrenal fatigue if you're really chronically stressed or high cortisol you should be getting off it because you've got so much other stuff to work on your body does not need that cortisol stimulus and also it's wrecking your blood sugar balance which is making everything else worse yeah wow well this has been such an insightful podcast i have thoroughly enjoyed you know from start right through and i I don't want to take up too much of your time um, so the one thing I just want to ask um, before wrapping up um, is if there is anything that you would like to uh, share with the world, if there's one message, uh, what would that be? It would be test, don't guess. I want to empower and educate people to really look for the root cause of what's going on. And I'm just, I'm tired of people guessing and not knowing and not tired that it's their fault, but I'm tired of the medical system and I'm tired of the GP approach of just taking there's band-aid supplements and I'm like people please please start testing and please get the right testing done and then if you don't like your practitioner or you don't like who you're working with you have got these test results and you can go to the next person or you can empower yourself to do more research and to elicit change because there's so much good information on podcasts and on the net and on these places as well it is definitely easier with the practitioner but please yeah please start testing and stop guessing because one root cause can present with multiple symptoms. If it's your thyroid or your adrenals or your gut, you can have fatigue for all of them, right? But how do I know what's causing the underlying issue if you haven't done any testing? Yeah. Oh, phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. So thank you so much. Insanely insightful. And I really hope that somebody listening out there um, would be able to get some knowledge from this and actually utilize it. Um, and if there's anyone that would like to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Um, send me a DM on Instagram. So Sheridan, uh, S-H-E-R-A-D-Y-N. So spelled different than your regular name, underscore functional nutrition. I am very active on there and I'm constantly replying to DMs with voice messages. So you will get a voice message. Otherwise, flick over to the Empowered Hormones podcast. So I've got a lot of podcasts sort of around these topics of IBS, Dutch testing, hormone testing. So if that's something that you kind of want to know more about, go and have a squeeze on that. But otherwise, yeah, you can flick over to my website and have a squeeze at who I am and what I do. So that's just my name. So SheridanDecker.com. Perfect. Well, I will uh, link it all below for those who are interested. So thank you so much. Thanks, Alexa. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.